this is a series of podcasts that are exploring some LGBTQ stories that tell us a little bit about life in England and Wales before the legalisation of homosexuality in 1967. My name's Tom Marshman and I made a show called Haunted Existence and I worked with Jeannie Sinclair on that project. This next episode, we're going all the way up to Newcastle. Right at the end of my tour of Haunted Existence, I had a week at the Alphabeti Theatre in Newcastle. And rather conveniently, the archive was literally opposite the theatre. So that's where we came across this story of, of Robert Coutard, or later Jenny Moore. So maybe as we're talking about Robert or or Jenny, I'm going to try and call her Jenny because yeah. I feel like that's how Jenny would like to be identified as. I think you're right. So I did a workshop um, actually in the archive and took out various documents from the archive. But the most the kind of the object that really spoke to us was just the two pictures of of Jenny when they were first arrested. And this is further back in 1913. So um, Robert was born, well, in the census in 1891. They, they were, their parents, I think, were a servant in a, in a house mm-hmm. of sailors. In the archive itself, the picture is of them being arrested in, in 1931, dressed as a woman. But there's two pictures and they're pretty much identical apart from they're wearing different outfits. Mm-hmm. And it was just really curious because it just felt like exactly the same kind of setup, the same could be the same day. Like, why are these these two pictures and why is Jenny wearing a different outfit? There was no like I don't know why that was. Can you say a bit about the outfits that she was wearing that um what well, what was in the photographs? So the hair is immaculately presented in a kind of Edward. Is it Edwardian that period? Victorian Edward. Just, just outside Edwardian, but the, yeah, yeah, pre pre First World War, yeah. isn't it? Nineteen thirteen. Yeah, and and a kind of ruchy kind of blouse mm. with a kind of high collar. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's a black and white picture. The second picture, the same hair, but like a much a, a black. A sort of less elaborate top, I suppose. But I just wondered whether that was just a big overcoat that was placed over the top. So mm-hmm. that was kind of my reckoning. So should we talk about what what Jenny got up to in in her life? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's various um, reports of her her dalliances and dealings with with the law. The one that I just am really drawn to was was I think the one in 1913 where Jenny and a couple of other men that were dressed as women were out on the docks in South Shields um, uh, singing all dressed as women and waving at the sailors that were coming into dock. And I, I 
And when I hear this story, it's like, this is the story that I feel like I want to make another show about. Mm. Like it's kicked off another kind of level of research that I would love to start doing. There's just isn't enough time. But But it wasn't illegal to dress as a woman. No. It just kind of upset people, really. Yeah. So they had to kind of try and find another reason to arrest Jenny. Well, I, um, what I, was that? Well, I think I, I think like Jenny first appears in the in the archives um, again, as we have discussed in previous episodes. The that people from a background like Jenny's, um, who don't come from a wealthy background, who aren't well educated, unfortunately, their their lives are documented only by their criminal actions. So we first see Jenny um, arrested at the age of 15. Um, and again, we don't know what for. Um, but in subsequent later reports, when she's arrested for other things, the judge does say that you've got, you, that she's got a criminal record as long as your arm and that mm. she's uh, really... Yeah, she, one of the judges says something like, you've lived in the shadow of the prison door for the whole of your life. And if I could, I would give you a a longer sentence, but I am just not able to do... I don't have the power to do that. Yeah, I mean, she's she's been in trouble with the law. Yeah, exactly. And she's she's just doing what she's had to do to survive, really. Um, I think one of the most interesting things that, that she's often been in trouble for robbing drunk men in public toilets um, and I think one of the longest sentences that she gets is for running a brothel and it's quite interesting where they get as far as arresting her for running a brothel and sending her to prison but sending her to prison as a woman and it's not until she gets as far as prison that they realise that she's biologically a man and um i just love this idea that she's she sounds like she's really quite glamorous and Mm. just like quite perfectly made up as well all of the reports sort of like it's quite it's quite surprising to read that reported Mm. you know the fact that her hair is very very neatly presented or something it says words to that effect yeah it's quite interesting and i don't know how how much the some of those reports are i don't know a bit snide i'm not sure but they they draw attention to her appearance but everyone mentions how well dressed she is and how well her how perfectly her hair is done and again it's like you said this is um the period before the first world war so um it's the you know kind of complex updos the Mm. the quite big hair and uh the details about her dress and um the way that she's dressed is really quite interesting but also the contents of her handbag which i thought was really Mm. interesting with her scent and her face powder and even one report goes into um, the number of rings that she's wearing and that she's wearing a wedding ring as well. And one of one of her um, dealings with with the police was when she was shoplifting for, I think, toothpaste and face powder is one of the reports. Nice, yeah. yeah. So this is further back than the haunted existence story because the haunted existence is like 19, 1950s. This is like 
Right. Oh, no, absolutely. She would have been sent to a men's prison yeah. and it would have been hard manual labour that she would have had to have done. Um, and it would have been physically and mentally tough. And to trace her, we're looking at sort of census reports. Is that that's the best way? Mm. How often are the census reports released? Well, um, so there, although there's a census, so it's it's tricky because there's a census of 1911, which I think is and one from 1891. The census from 1921 isn't available yet mm. um, because so that will be released in another year's time um, it's I think it's another 10 years oh, that we'd okay. have to wait for that um, so it's I mean it's difficult what's quite interesting is because she goes by different names in fact might you find her at a later census under Jenny Moore or um, mm. she later uses a married name of Mrs James Gray so it would be really interesting to see if it was possible to track her. And James Gray was also James Blake, mm. who was someone that she was romantically involved in. They were mm. living as man and wife. He seems to be quite an interesting character that's had lots of brushes up with the law as well. Well, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that after the first time that Jenny was arrested, and there's absolutely no question that she's going to try and revert to living life quietly dressed as a man she's absolutely she's Jenny Moore and or Mrs James Gray or however she particularly is named at any particular given time and there's something really joyful about it and yeah she's she's not going to change for anyone mm. and that's an absolute delight I think it, it, it's in- incredible when you actually see the these mugshots mm. of these people because there's such an it just they feel the photos feel very defiant mm, exactly that's mm. she's absolutely you know giving two fingers to the law that and i think that's a really i think it's a really beautiful thing mm. so what we could hear now is from one of the newspaper articles mm. um, that was reported on um jenny at that time every article of clothing on his back was that of a woman The defendant's chest was developed like a woman's bust. He had attempted to represent this more fully by padding at either side with cotton wool, concealed in which were small balloons partly blown out. He carried a mackintosh on his arm and a satchel in his hand. In a purse which had been thrust down his breast was money amounting to £10, and in a bag in the mackintosh was £18 and one shilling, all in silver and one and a half pennies in copper. In the satchel was one pound two shillings and three pence in silver, and two shillings ten pennies in copper. Also on him were a quantity of face powder, soap, a razor, and a bottle of scent. On the fingers of one hand were a wedding ring, and a keeper ring, and on the other hand three rings. And he wore a rather low-necked bodice, fastened by a brooch. I just love that report. I mean, it's extremely Mm. salacious and obviously all the reports focus very much on what Jenny's wearing. And it it actually also reminds me of like when women politicians are being interviewed and they just focus on like the things that they what 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 shoes they've got on. Yeah. I mean, this is what people want to read about, right? It's just like salacious gossip about, well, you know, what was she wearing? And um, it's the fact that they mentioned the low cut top as well. And it's I 
I'm not quite sure how they find out the details about how Jenny had um, used cotton wool and balloons to um, to accentuate her bust. Um, but that's a that's an interesting question in itself. But um, but also, you, I just feel like Jenny would have smelt nice, mm. <laughs> and you know, she was obviously very particular about her appearance and mm. the fact that she's got soap and the amount of money she's got on her. That's actually quite a substantial amount of money. Mm. The eighteen pounds in one bag and another few pounds and in another. But it could have been, you know, like she did, she didn't feel like she was felt safe enough to leave it somewhere so oh, she'd absolutely. carry it around with her yeah I mean that's yeah. quite that's quite possible as well yeah. and uh, where did all that money come from it's mm. uh, quite interesting I feel like with this story it's just been the one that feels like I don't know hardly anything about this story but there's mm. so much in it there's so much joy mm. and sorrow and kind of like repression and like fighting against the odds that I would mm. really love to work more with the archive and develop a show like mm. around around this story. But yeah, the the strength and the defiance mm. I think is really interesting as well. That kind of really feels like that comes across. It's possible, like in like you say, eleven years time, that we might find out more about where she went after after that hard labour. Mm. So when I worked with the group in Newcastle Archive, it was actually a lovely group that came. Um, we worked on a, along with kind of looking at the, the, the documents and the photographs, we did this letter writing exercise where we imagined um, Jenny writing to James from the hard labour to kind of tell what what she was experiencing, what we imagined she was experiencing and where she imagined that her future might end up, you know, after she was out of that situation. Um, it was really a useful exercise to kind of place place those participants from that workshop within Jenny's shoes. A lot of the people that took part in that workshop were from um, a learning disabilities company called um, The Lawnmowers. And they were really interested to take part in the research because they're interested in looking at archives and finding ways that um, disability and uh, sexuality and gender um, are talked about within previous archives. Well, again, it's, you know, that's something that we haven't mentioned already that, again, in the archive, everyone's assumed to be able-bodied and um, disabilities often left out that you will often find subjects in an archive and you might get their name, their gender, um, and that's about it. That's all the information that you have on a person. And so that makes it extremely difficult to find these stories as well. It's only that attitudes towards archives and archiving have changed and people are doing, archivists are doing a lot of work to rehabilitate those stories and actually write people back into the archive um, so uh, because it is a challenge to find information well here's to Jenny I wonder where she ended up after that mm. I hope that she had a good life mm. I, I'm sure it was a colourful life <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, maybe in years to come when the, the uh, 1921 census is available for research 
it's possible that we can look up Jenny Moore or Mrs. James Gray or Robert Coulthard and, you know, see if we can find more information what happened to her. Mm-hmm.